Good morning, everybody. Uh, wow. Jesus is already here. We can just go to the house. Uh, thank you for being so sensitive to, to the Lord. As a matter of fact, I'm dressed up today because I'm going to a funeral. I really don't always look this good. Just kidding. It takes a lot. What, what Dolly Parton say? It takes a whole lot of money uh, to look this cheap. So that's probably true. So um, anyway, my name is Billy Wayne. How many of you don't even know me? You are a blessed people. And for those who don't, do know me, I, I still apologize. Last time, I can't, of all the places I've been, I've never had such a disastrous time in trying to begin a service. And I remember fighting with that stupid computer and wishing it would go to the other place. Because I'm not, I don't do all that. Other people do all that for me. I come here thinking, oh, it's just God, I'll get away for the weekend. And I'm like, I feel like an idiot. I don't know what I'm doing. And so I don't want any distractions today by any means. So thank you all. Franklin's going to be up here in a little bit with me. And uh, we're going to get through this. And I, you know, when I was asked, God and I were talking, because I know you've been doing some things on discipleship, which I think is pretty awesome. And he said, I just want you to come back and really share you know, your testimony. And I said, well, I kind of did that the last time, but it was like, no, Billy, you know, you know what you need to do. And we just need to get people here and let them hear the story. You know, my life has been, I've, I've been a blessed person. First of all, I want to say thank you to the church, the body of Christ, like you spoke about. All these elements that we sharing about this morning really has a lot to do with everything that's really already happened here. Whether it's uh, someone that's close to heaven or somebody who's just said, look, I want to be identified with the body of Christ. Thank the Lord for the body of Christ and, and, and the church, the local church, because I don't know where I'd be. And I'll be honest with you, I'm an evangelist. I don't even like church. That was a joke. So anyway, I'm the one that messes everything up and the preacher has to fix it once I leave. That's my job most of the time. I come and tell people off. So like I told Scott off that day, that's probably true. I don't know, I have this urgency in my heart oftentimes just to say what I need to say. And I have my Bible open here, and I've got some, some, some things that I'd written down here. Uh, I very seldom look at that. I, I, so I look at my Bible, but not the other. But uh, So you don't know me, so I, I mean, really know who I am. I get to share bits and pieces when I was here before. But I want to just say, uh, you know, First of all, I was not raised in a Christian home. And um, I want to say in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, it says, they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. One of the most powerful things you have in your life is your testimony. I tell people, especially in evangelism, they say, oh, Billy, I'm so freaked out. I don't know if I can share uh, all this. I don't know if all the Bible verses that I should share. I don't know how to do all that. And I said, it doesn't really matter. I mean, there's oftentimes, to be honest with you, as we get older, I can't remember the addresses of hardly any of the scripture. I know it's in there, and I have to go, you know, and I've got a lot memorized, but at the same time, it does addresses where they're located sometimes escapes you. And, I, and I'm like, you know, God, does, God just needs you to share what you've done, what he's done in your life. You know, you were this way, you met Jesus, and you were this way. That's your testimony. It's very simple, but God. And when but God shows up, great things happen, Amen. So they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. So one thing that we have is what God's done in our life. And God's done a whole lot in my life. When you sang the song and you talked about there's another in the fire. Man, in my life, there's been another in the fire. There's been another in the flood. There's been another in every part of my life. Because every time I look around in the depths of my greatest, uh, I guess, struggles or troubles, then there was Jesus, an amazing father who loved us far beyond ourselves. And that he is there in the midst of the hardest times. And sometimes we're so clouded by the chaos that we don't even see him. But trust me, he's there. Some of you live in the shadows of God. 
It's the dark places that you are like, oh man, you don't understand what I've been through and it's so dark and depressed and I've got all these things going on in my life. Well, the greatest thing in living in the shadows of God, the very fact that there's a shadow shows that God is present. Don't ever, ever, ever question the fact of God's presence in your life. God knows exactly what's going on in your life. So some of you are saying, well, then why in the heck does he do something? And I didn't realize that all these things, the good, the bad, and the ugly, working out for my good. All those things work out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Does that mean that every situation is good? Heck no. Does that mean everything that you're going to, you're going to enjoy every one of those things that you have to go through? No. But I'll tell you this, it's always working out for my good. And so oftentimes in the midst of the chaos, I stop and say, oh God, let me see the lesson now because I don't want to come back here again. Anybody done that before? And some of you wonder why you keep repeating the same sorry behavior over and over again, expecting a different result, whether it's the same, you keep marrying 10, 12, 14 times, and whatever, or whether you go to a job or a different job or different, you know, you can keep trying to repeat, if you keep repeating the same behavior, expecting a different result, it's just not going to happen. And so we have to ask God, okay, what are you trying to teach me so I can learn? So every time now in my life, and I've moved through life a lot quicker too quick now. I had a birthday this past week. That was hard. Uh, well, the next year is going to be really hard because next year I'm, I get the big 6-0. So I'm going to be 60 years old. So yeah. So what do you get for that? I mean, nothing. I don't know of any benefits. You know, when I got 40, I got a benefit. I got readers. That was pretty cool. At 50, I got aches and pains. At 60, I don't know. It's no, no one talks about, they say retirement. I'm never going to retire, so I get nothing. I'm stuck doing this job telling people about Jesus till I take my last breath. I'm okay with that, you know, because that's what I live for. Uh, and so, and when I die, tag, you're it. All right. I want to talk to you about my family. First of all, I was, I, I was not raised in a Christian home, like I said before, and we thank, thank God for the church. If it hadn't been for a church picking up studying those kids like me, I would not be here today. Somebody that invested my time. As a matter of fact, this afternoon, the guy who used to pick me up uh, on a church bus and would also bring us over to his house, he and his wife, to th their house every other weekend or so to have a youth night there in their home, in their living room, and learn about Jesus through Bible studies is the man who I will today be doing his funeral. And I keep thinking, did that man know in those moments? When he took that snotty-nosed kid that nobody cared about, because you see the church bus kids got to ride to church on Sunday morning, but to go on Wednesday night or Sunday night, that was an impossibility. My parents weren't going to go, but this man and his family would pick me up and make sure I was there Sunday night and Wednesday night, because I was so in love with Jesus, I wanted to learn, and he took the time, and so thank God for the church that did that. But I remember going to church in this church bus, and I remember the preacher where I come from. I don't know where you guys, what you would do down here, but up in Tennessee, when they get on fire for Jesus, and they're talking about hell, <laughs> bless God, they get all ripped up. It's awesome. And then you know when that necktie and that coat comes off, you better watch out because hell is hot, and you better be ready for it. So I remember he was getting her done that morning, and I was like sitting in the back seat sweating. I was like dying. I thought, Lord Jesus, I don't want to die and go to hell. I ran forward, and I screamed. I said, please pray something. I don't want to die and go to hell and he prayed something over me I didn't care I said I don't care what you pray you can speak in tongues you're Baptist I don't care what you do I don't I just get me done here he prayed I got he gets done and then uh and then about a week later I get dunked and I'm thinking oh I've got this I got my, my fire insurance policy we're good and that's how a lot of people are they get that fire insurance policy and they think we got her done we're good 
until I was sitting in church and five years later, minding my own business, and God interrupted me. You ever been minding your own business? And God says, excuse me, I need to talk to you for just a minute. And so in the in church was packed that morning. I'll never forget it. Actually, it was a Saturday night. It was packed. And this guy come and it had been speaking. I don't even, his name was Billy Bernstein. He was a ventriloquist and it was a youth thing. And he was speaking and he shared Jesus at the end. And honestly, I couldn't remember a thing that man said because the Holy Spirit kept wearing my heart out and said, you don't know me. And I said, now, have you ever tried to convince God you're okay when he's convicting you? Like he's saying, okay, you need to go to the altar. Or you need to get things right with me. And you're sitting there going, oh, we're good. We're good, Jesus. Remember, I, we're good. We're good. You're trying to talk him out of it. You're trying to talk God out of like getting you right. And don't have me done that before. Raise your hand. Raise your hands. Hey, man, y'all ashamed of that? That means you still haven't gotten it right. Okay, we'll, we'll take care of that in a minute. All right. So I remember sitting there trying to convince God that I'm okay. And then the Holy Spirit just kept saying, I said, I said, Lord, but I went forward. I signed the piece of papers. I do believe in Jesus. I know he died on the cross. I've done all that. I'm working in children's church. I'm doing all this stuff. God, we're good. And he said, we're not good. You don't know me. And if you have to sit yourself and down trying to convince God every time an invitation is given or when you feel conviction at heart that you're okay with God, you're not okay with God. So that day I remember uh, not even talking to the preacher. I bypassed the preacher and found myself on my face before God and praying this prayer. But for the first time, you know, I got it. I realized in the presence of God that I was the sinner that Jesus died for, that it wasn't just the whole wide world that he died for, but he died for a wretch like me. That was amazing. And it wasn't about everybody. It was about me. And God kept telling me, and you know that moment of salvation, what's amazing? And that moment of salvation, you've never felt so kind of dirty and seen all your sin. I mean, it's just so laid bare before God. You've, you know, that conviction of all that nasty but you've also never felt so loved. How does he do that? That's pretty awesome. That all of a sudden you, he says, look at what you've done. And you know what? I love you more than these. And I was like, I couldn't handle that kind of love. So I remember praying, Lord Jesus, I am a wretched sinner. I don't even deserve your presence in my life. And then that day, I asked Christ to come in my life. I will follow you. And you know what's amazing? I didn't have roller coaster this after that. It was just straight on with Jesus. It doesn't mean that things don't plateau and things. I'm like, God, where are you? I'm trying to figure this out. But I'm telling you something. God has become more real to me every day that I've lived. And I'm thankful for that. And it wasn't about an emotional high going from camp or youth retreat or to this or to that to get that spiritual high to last you for a little while. It wasn't like that uh, New Year's uh, thing that you do, what's that called? A res yeah, that thing. New Year's resolution says, I will read my Bible every day of my life, Jesus. He didn't. He lasted two weeks. All right. Yeah. And then what's really bad, you get behind on it and you think, I'll never catch up. So it's just like, why bother? <laughs> it's like, raise that hand. How many of you made that resolution and it didn't happen? Raise it. Don't be ashamed. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. All right. So anyway, so I gave my life to Jesus. And it's amazing because you think when you give your life to Jesus, everything is going to be great now. It's going to be warm fuzzies and everything's going to be great. And it was. Jesus was real. It was awesome. But all hell on earth broke loose at my house. It got worse. Everything at home got worse. Because I think one thing to think you know you have faith in Christ is that God says, okay, we're going to take you through the fire. Now, are you ready for this? Because I'm going to show you that I will show up in the hardest times in your life. But you're never going to know how big Jesus is until you go through some rough stuff. 
I had a seventh grade teacher tell me one time, she was a godly woman. This was before I, this was the same year that I got saved. I remember her uh, writing me this letter after she said, people who don't have problems are just plain boring. How many boring people we got in here? <laughs> Listen, God likes to stir it up. He does that. He likes to say, let's see what, let's see what you're going to do. And I hate to tell you this. Some of you don't want to hear this, but I'm going to tell you something. God knows your name. All right? And he's the one who brings your name up before the devil sometimes. I mean, he did Job. It wasn't Job said, like, and some of people with this theology, oh, God is love and all things that we have. And he is. But he loves us enough to allow us to fall more in love with him by going through rough stuff. It's the hard times that have created my relationship with the Lord. And so just remember when, when, when um, uh, Satan came before the courts of God and he's standing there and God says, have you considered my servant Job? Are there days that you wish God would forget your name? Not, not me today. Go pick on somebody else, okay? But God, but at the same time, I want to say this to you. Isn't it amazing, too, that the God of this universe trusts you with suffering? That he's the one who trusts you to go through that particular thing in your life. And it was, unfortunately, we screw that up because we end up trying to be, uh, which, you know, we, we end up like wanting to get out of the situation or, or we don't do, you know, we don't show people Jesus, we just don't. We give in to whatever that thing is, and we don't shine for him. Whether it's cancer that we have to face, whether it's death we have to face, or the family lives that we have to live in, or the struggles, and sometimes we really don't show people Jesus. We show them our frustration and our anger. But to know that God trusts me in that situation, to show the world there is a Savior who can help you through. In the midst of it all, you just have joy and peace. And some of you in this room, you don't have joy and peace. Some of y'all just hateful people. Turn to your neighbor real quick and say, you got issues. Go ahead and tell them they need to know. Tell them right now. Go, go, go. Tell them. All right. That's the easy one, right? Because you know they got issues. You live with them. Now turn to them and say, I have issues. Ooh, that one's a little harder, isn't it? <laughs> but not as many as you, right? That's what I want to say, right? You're the reason I'm the way that I am, right? Yeah, I used to think that with my family too. So I used to think, Lord, why in the world did you put me in this situation? Why, why in the world did you allow me to go through this hard time? Y'all notice I haven't looked down at this yet because I probably won't. Okay, uh, I just thought, man, I'm going to pull out some beautiful scripture and, and I, it, I, it, yeah, it's going to come out because it's in me. Uh, and I became a man of the word uh, when I was 18. Listen, I was a Christian for six years before I really started reading God's word. Oh, I'd read it, get the star by my name in Sunday school class. Hurry, they'd going to ask you that morning. Thought, hurry and read a verse. Did you read the Bible? Yes, ma'am, I did. Give me my star. <laughs> but it wasn't until I really was left at college with the Bible there. And I thought, I want to know. I've heard everybody's opinion about who you are. I want to know who you are, Jesus. You show me. And man, I began to read the Word of God, and it was like a love letter to me. And the Lord would keep me so broken before Him because I was learning so much about who He was and what I wasn't that I was just amazed at the power of God's Word in my life. Some of you are big, fat babies in Jesus. God, all you ever get from the Word is when Scott tells you, listen, you're going to starve to death if you listen to him. I'm kidding. I'm kidding, Stan. I'm kidding. I'm kidding, I'm kidding Scott. He's a, he's a man of the word. But seriously, you'll starve to death. All you just get is from Scott. You're going to starve to death if you, don't, if you don't take some time to let the word of God and you spend time with Jesus to see what's going to take. Because that's what changed my life. And that's what helped me through the roughest times. So I gave my life to Jesus. All these things broke loose at home. It was crazy. So all the abuse at home got 
worse. You know, I tried to, the, to meet my father's expectations. You know what every kid in here wants to hear, even every man in here, grown men, wants to hear is their daddy say, I love you and I'm proud of you. Some of you got the nicest house in the neighborhood. You just build it and your father comes in. Why did you choose that foundation? I mean, they're going to look at you like, I mean, whatever. They're going to find the fault in it. And you're just devastated that you didn't hear your dad say, I am so proud of you. And I'll tell you, some of you, got, some of you daddies got so much pride in your life. You're the reason your kids can't see God and maybe not even be, uh, see you. I did write this scripture down. I want to read this to, to you. Uh, and I love this. It says in Proverbs 19, discipline your children uh, for that in that there is hope. And do not be a willing party to their death. Don't be part of their death. And some of you guys in here, be honest with you. Some of you men in this room, you don't want to hear what I have to say. But I'm not here to tell you what you want to hear. I'm here to tell you what you need to hear. And you're the reason some of your children will never, ever, ever, ever make it in life. As far as your standard. Because they'll never meet it. And you may be the reason that your kid's suicidal or thinks bad or can't get work through things in your life because some of your sorry daddies. Because you've never said, I love you and I'm proud of you. Well, I bought him a four-wheeler. <laughs> well, good for you. That's, that speaks volumes. <laughs> yeah, it says that you're willing to do that. I know we all have different love languages and it's gift and touch and time and all those things. I get that. But one thing, a kid, every kid needs to know that his daddy loves him. And, 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 that, and every little girl wants to know that her daddy loves it. And trust me, if you don't show them love, those little girls are going to find love in the wrong places. And all of a sudden, they don't get the father's love that they should, and they begin to displace that. And it's, it's horrible at what kids end up doing. And, 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 and adults end up doing because parents, daddies weren't daddies. And some of you, one of the most vulnerable things you can ever do with your child, and one of the greatest things that's a hero you can ever do with your child, is to pray with your child and to tell them that you love them. Oh, you have to get off your prideful horse to do that. I understand. My dad never said those words. And my dad, man, I wanted to please my dad. We go out hunting. Yeah, my dad, we had rabbit. We didn't have those little wussy dogs like some of y'all got. I got a wussy dog now. I have to go get it groomed. You know, one of those things. So when you got a dog that has to be groomed, you got a wuss dog. I just want to tell you that. So I got a wussy dog, all right? But my dad, we didn't have, we had beagles, okay, outside, you know, and then, and then coon dogs, if they didn't go, you didn't get it. It was not, it didn't bark right. You didn't have it at the house. All right. So my dad, I remember we're going out, I wanted to please my dad. We're going out on a rabbit hunt. And I'll never forget. If I felt like Elmer Fudd killed a rabbit, killed, I was, it was, I had my gun. I had all my, you know, my hunting gear. I was ready to go. And my dad, don't get me wrong. My dad had taught me how to shoot everything from a pistol to a sawed off double barrel shotgun. Don't shoot one of those. You'll end on your blessed assurance. I'm just saying, it hurts really, really bad. It knocked me probably 20 feet and I had bruises on my shoulder. That's, oh, you're not supposed to hold a sawed off here. I'm like, you let me. The shoulder was out of socket and I was maimed for the while. Wow. So I remember, though, going hunting with him, and I remember Dad let the rabbit, the, the, the beagles loose at the top of the hill, and we were in this big field, and they come running across, and I could see these rabbits, this rabbit in front of them, and they were just bouncing from side to side, and my dad, <laughs> my dad's going, I'm sitting here like, oh, I gotta kill it, I gotta kill it, I gotta kill it for my dad, I gotta kill it, and I was like, I gotta get it, I gotta get it, it was like nervous wreck, and killed a rabbit, I felt so much like Elmer Fudd in that little picture, y'all remember the Bugs Bunny, if you didn't go look it up, YouTube, all right? So I remember standing there, and Dad's going, he's screaming, shoot it, shoot it. And I'm like, ah, 
rat, rat for your life. And I remember that rabbit went down the hole. I went, oh, I felt better. I, felt, I thought those poor dogs are going to chew that baby up. I was terrified. I looked at my dad and he's standing there. Oh, my gosh. He said, you'll never amount to anything. Well, you're going to be a man. That's what my dad did. I remember going one time to him. I remember him getting really mad at me. And uh, he got frustrated. He wanted to toughen me up. This was right after he became a Christian. And I remember he, uh, he got mad at me one day. And he said, you're never, ever going to grow up. You're never going to be a man. He said, I want you to drink this liquor. He had a bottle of vodka. And I said, Dad, I'm not drinking. I said, I don't have anything to do with that. I just don't. I said, I love Jesus. And I can't. I can't do it. He took me to the bathroom. And he forced me to drink that alcohol. So when I started drinking, I started vomiting. I vomited in the sink. I vomited on the floor. And he threw me down the floor and he stomped me. And he said, you're trash and you're no good and you're no son of mine. You know what the matter of the fact was? I was raised with three younger brothers and an older sister. And I'm the only one that was my father's son. The others, my mom had love, found love in all the wrong places, and they belonged to other men. But I was the only one that was really my dad's son. But I never felt I was. I was the oldest boy, and it was my job to protect my family. Because every time my dad would get drunk, every time, and that was every weekend, by the way. And when we talk about somebody being an alcoholic, let me clarify something to you. I think everybody thinks, well, there's a sorry wino on the road that was horrible to his family. My dad actually was a wonderful man when he was sober. Most giving man that I've ever met. We were at Disney World. I don't forget. This kid was in a wheelchair. My dad handed him a $50 bill and goes, have a good day. And I was like, <laughs> he never gave me a $50 bill. He was always so compassionate. And my dad also, I mean, he worked really hard and he moved up in his company to the highest position. So please don't understand. Please don't misinterpret that every, everybody that's an alcoholic is a wino and they're, I mean, some are, and they, my, when my dad was drunk, he was, might as well been because the, the situation was horrible and the living situation was bad. But we always had, dad made sure we had a good home. We went on vacation every year. Uh, even if he had to take a loan out, we were going to go somewhere. That was my dad. He was going to take care of us. And he always paid his child support on time when his mom and dad got divorced. All those things, great. And he made really good money. He was a very successful man in life. Had friends everywhere, but you didn't have to live with him. He drank every day of his life. Not just weekends. Every day, get home at night, he would drink. Never drank on the job. None of that. But all hell broke loose at house. So bad, you know, that it, it really got severe. And I would find myself in the middle of all that trying to keep my mom from being... My mom had a mouth on her. Imagine where I got mine. Anyway, I mean, she was... My, I mean, she had a mouth... And, and she wasn't afraid, and she'd get at my dad's business. She's a wiry little woman. My dad was a big, bulky kind of guy. And I remember, uh, I remember the times that they would be in these huge arguments. And, and so uh, oftentimes I'd, I'd try to break them up. And part of it, I didn't even know what it was going on with my mom and all the things that she had done. I could just see the abuse from my dad. So I was always trying to take my mom aside until I found out the rest of the story. That my mom had been unfaithful to him and all those things. And so on one particular New Year's Eve, again, try to hear my dad say, I love you and I'm proud of you. I never heard those words. But I remember one particular New Year's Eve, 
going to, uh, uh, he was, my mom and he went to, we're going to go to this party. Uh, and so my sister was away that night and I had those three younger brothers. And so I was kind of babysitting them. My dad had broken his foot that night. He was on pain medication. And so he was also drinking and he broke his foot from a motorcycle ride that day. And so that night uh, we were sitting there. My dad had bottled, uh, had taken down uh, quite a bit of Seagram's seven, a whole bottle and had Jack Daniels. I mean, he was just high as a kite. So I remember my mom, I woke up, the ball was dropping, Dick Clark, I'll never forget, and, and I woke up, and my dad, I could hear my mama come up the road, she's a hot rod mama, she had a Grand Prix uh, car, and she had big cherry bomb mufflers on the back, she's a redneck mom, I'm telling you something. She became that road, I heard her, and my dad allowed her to go on to the party. So in between that time, somebody came by the house and said, your wife just left with a man, and she had. And so my dad was ready for her. He had a pistol there. I remember waking up and running, uh, hearing my mom's car come up the road, and I was trying to warn her. I ran out and said, you need to leave. She thought, she's getting my dad standing on the porch. She thought it was my uncle, thought something was wrong. She started running from, toward the house, and my dad jumped off the porch uh, with a broken leg and started choking her out. And I remember that's the only time ever hitting my dad because, you'd, I mean, you would never, no way. My dad would hit you with whatever he had in his hand. And I, I remember, though, that night just trying to get him off my mom. She was able to escape from him, and my two, uh, my, she pushed all of us out of the way. And I remember her going through the house, and we had a dead bolt lock on the back door. It's crazy, the details. And I remember praying, Lord, let her get that unlocked so we could, she could get out the back. And I was trying to hold my brother's back. She got across uh, to the neighbor's house. I see, it was, I'll never forget, there was ice everywhere. And my daddy caught up with her and threw her down on the ground. It was straddler, and he was beating her with both fists. And so I remember being just uh, trying to help him. I looked back at the porch. My brother next to me, Randy, he ran over to the neighbor's house where my mom was laying in their yard and ripped the storm door off the house. He was 14 years old. And that adrenaline, I mean, literally ripped this metal storm door off its hinges and threw it in the yard. And he was tiny, maybe 85, 95 pounds, and beat the glass out of the main door trying to get somebody to help us. I remember looking back at the porch of my two baby brothers standing in their underwear on the porch screaming, please, daddy, don't kill mommy. Caught up with my dad and my mom, and my mom, he got off of her, drug her across a gravel road, threw her up against the truck and went inside to find his gun. And when he went inside, we did learn as, a young, as young kids to learn to hide the bullets. When dad was drunk, you, you hide the bullets from the guns. My dad had literally... I bet he had 50-plus guns in our house. He was a gun collector, and he also had knives and all these things. So we just tried to hide those things. So Dad had gone through all the drawers. I remember getting my brothers in the car, and my, and, and my brother, Randy, who was at next door, I took my mom's coat, black and white check coat with fake fur. I'll never forget that. Wrapped his arms in there. He was bleeding really pretty badly. I put him in the back seat. My brother's in the back seat. I said, y'all stay here. I'm going to go inside and I'm going to get some clothes for you. I went inside and dad had taken looking for all those bullets. He, all of our clothes were just dumped out in the floor. I took a trash bag and started picking up things. Got out in the car, was sitting on the passenger side and we were waiting for the police to come because the neighbor had called the police. And I rolled the window down and cracked it because dad was coming to my side of the door. He hobbled out on a pair of crutches with a pistol in his hand. And he said, if you don't open this door, I'm going to blow your brains out. You've got 10 seconds. And he started counting. It is amazing what your personal Savior can tell you in 10 seconds. 
in the fire. There was another in the fire that night, and God spoke to my heart and said these words. It's okay. No matter what happens, you belong to me. And I looked right at my dad, tears coming down my face, and I said, do you pull the trigger? I know where I'm going. And I sit there and I brace myself for the bullet. You know, we used to hear that Russian spies, if they ever invaded the United States of America, and they came up to you and said, do you love Jesus? I'll kill you. And I, you know, I didn't have a Russian spy do that. Not saying that they won't show up at some point, this point. But I remember it wasn't that person. It wasn't this enemy that we thought was out there. It was the loving father who was supposed to hold you and tell you things are going to be okay that was ready to take your life. He got scared when he got counted down. He knew I wasn't going to do anything. He went over to my mom's side of the car and he, he told her the same thing. She immediately opened the door. She didn't know Jesus. She didn't, it didn't matter. And she pushed him back on his bad, broken leg. And we got away that night. And I can remember praying to God to help me forget all those things because I did not want to remember and have that bitterness in my heart toward my dad. So I asked God just to help me. And so, uh, and, and so I, that bitterness and that anger and that frustration was all there. And the Bible tells us in Hebrews, it said, be careful lest a seed of bitterness spring up in you and defile many. And that seed of bitterness in my heart was being sown by my mom, my dad, and everybody else. And I was so bitter and so angry. When I was uh, all the way through this time, when I was a little kid in school, I was that smallest kid, never weighed 100 pounds until I was a sophomore in high school. Scanny little runt. I was the smallest in my class. And still, you know, and, and I'd go to school and I'd pretend that everything was okay. People didn't know the dark sides of anything in my life. I was determined not to show it. So when I give my life to Christ again, things got worse. But I'd been, I remember I had these little kids at, at school that everybody picked on. Ta God taught me about compassion at a very young age. There was these two kids that everybody picked on. They were in special education, but they also would come to our class. And then we didn't have, they would go to that special ed classes a, a, a couple of days a week, but they were in our class. And there was a table at the back of the room, and the teacher called that the special table. And then they would send you to the back of the room, and you'd, you'd go back, and they would work with you on things that you needed to be worked on. And I kept sitting in that class and praying to, Miss, to, to God about Ms. Mays. That was my first grade teacher. Please, God, don't let me, don't let me be special. I don't want to go to that special table. Please, God, don't make me go to the special table. Please, Jesus, don't make me go. I remember praying that. And then so one day, Miss Mays walks in the class and she said, Billy, I want you to go to the special table. I said, oh, God. I was in my heart. I thought, I don't want to go to the special table. I went back there and she goes, and then it, here came the arrogance. She said, oh, Billy knows how to read real well, so he's going to help you read today. I went, yeah. <laughs> and I sat down with those kids. Dobie Darnell was my kid that I sat down with. He was the one in class uh, where everybody would step on these, you know, all those little tiles on the floor and they'd be like, if you stepped on a crack, you love somebody. you got doby germ, shield, you can't touch me. Boom, 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 boom. You know, that kind of thing. So I remember just, uh, you know, everybody picking on Dobie. And I remember, am I out of camera? I don't, am, is this screwing y'all up? Because I don't like to stay up there. We're good. All right. So, uh, so I remember just hanging out there with him. And I remember we had that first grader reader. You know, remember it? Uh, C spot, C spot, run, run spot, run. Remember that? Some of y'all had a different dog name, but it was the same thing. All right. So I remember walking up to that classroom, and I remember it was, it was, it, he was, he had those, those sentences. And I remember we're looking at the page, and it goes, C spot. And so I said, okay, what's the first word? He goes, I said, it starts with that, S looks like a snake. He goes, C. I'm like, you are awesome. I said, what's the next word? He goes, dog. I went, seriously. 
I said, does that word look like dog? I mean, look at it. It starts with a s, just like C. It goes, it's like that. It goes, oh, okay. C, s, dog. I mean, you are, oh my gosh. I was like, are you serious? And so I'm like, no, no, we got to learn to spell this out and sound it out. And I felt like I was only back there maybe a week or so, but I felt like it was maybe about two years. Because every day I was like, this guy, really, Dobie. But back there when I got him, I remember everybody making fun of him because Dobie smelled a little funny. It was because his mom never, ever washed his clothes. And he was always, didn't have breakfast at school. He was hungry, and I'd give him something if I had it. And I remember hanging out with Dobie and get to know him and, and all the kids that picked on him. And I remember Dobie was the biggest in class. I was the littlest. Dobie could sit on you and kill you. <laughs> I could eat your ankles, and that's about it. So I remember us being there at that table, putting the two of the weirdest people together. And I remember just really loving Dobie. And I remember sitting there when Dobie began to read. And I'll never forget that say that when he goes, see, spot, see, spot, run, run, spot, run. I was like, you go, Dobie. It was like the Olympics. I was like, you did it. And, and so I was, I was standing in the class screaming at the teacher. She's like, shh. I said, you don't understand. He can read. I was like, <laughs> and so it was exciting. I was so impressed by that. I got to, I followed Dobie through school. There's the, look, Camilla Horn was in my class too. Everybody picked on her. She would like pull her coat up over her head and she'd, she'd eat her boogers. Let's just say she ate her boogers. I know it's gross, but you need to know that, okay? Because she was disgusting, okay? That was disgusting. And she had psoriasis. She'd pick the scabs off of me and eat them like potato chips. I thought, this is disgusting. Now, hey, you got to get the picture so you understand what I had to deal with. And why she rode my bus, people. And so I didn't just go to school with her. I had to, it was class. And we had to deal with that. So I remember getting on that school bus. And she was, here, here she was. And, and, and you know how the, the, the rows are. And so people put their hand on, on the uh, seat in front of them and go, mm-mm, you can't sit here. Back then, they didn't care if you, they just crammed you on the bus and hope you got home. No one cared. Uh, you know, now you have to have a seat and all that. No, we'd stand in the aisles. They didn't care, just get to where you were going. And she'd stand on a bumpy bus ride. But I'd given my life to Jesus. Remember sharing that with you. So after I got saved, I met, and Camilla was riding with me, the Lord said, well, uh, you need to let her sit. I'm saying, are you kidding me? Dear Jesus, don't you understand that if I let her sit down with me, they're going to think I love her. Oh, yeah. That's, that's right. I'm supposed to. So I remember looking at her and trying to convince her not to. You don't want to sit with me, do you, Camilla? And she said, I do. And I went, dang it. So I open the seat. She sits down. And all the kids on the bus immediately going, Billy loves Camilla. Billy loves Camilla. And they started chanting and roaring. And I thought, oh, I, am, I was little, loud, poor, and proud. Don't mess with me. I turned around and said, yes, I love Camilla. God loves Camilla. You got a problem with that? My sister grabbed me and said, sit down before we all get killed. <laughs> so uh, anyway, from that point on, from eighth grade on, I shared a seat with Camilla. Yeah. And me and my cousin would always save one for her. If she got them for us, she'd save us a seat. So we'd ride back and forth, got to know her. She was a Christian. She loved the Lord. Her parents were older. And they really didn't engage and help her do anything. But I can remember going back to for, for my 20th high school reunion 20 years ago. And, uh, <laughs> what, ooh, ooh, Lord. Okay. <laughs> uh, 
Okay, <laughs> this is hard, Lord. But I remember going to that reunion, and I remember them saying, Billy, we want you to do us a favor. We want you to sing a song in memory of those who had passed and share a little bit. And I stood up, and I didn't know all the names were on there, and I began to look at the names, and Camilla's name was on there. And she had died of diabetes and a very horrible death. And I thought for one hour in the morning and one hour in the evening that she knew she had a friend and that she was loved. And that she loved me. So I learned about compassion. To love on hurting people. Maybe because I was one. And I think the most rejected people know how to love on those who are rejected. So life was hard. At this point, my dad, when he tried to kill us that night, I would prayed that God would teach me or help me to forget it. And I, so I, have a, I had memory lapse. There's things I cannot remember. God was gracious enough to apply grace to that. Because I had so much bitterness. And I can remember wanting them to really know the Lord at that point, that seed of bitterness. And then my mom, at that point, my mom and dad divorced. My mom looked for love in all the wrong places. She started dating guys my age. And I remember there was a particular guy that my sister had dated. I came home one night. My mom's in the living room with him and another one of his friends. And uh, they're being flirtatious. I'll leave it clean at that. My brothers were in bed. I had to go through the living room to get to my bedroom. And I remember going to my room, and I was so shaken. I was so shaken. And I, was, and I could hear them, and I knew my mom was going to sleep with him that night. I was ashamed to go to school. I didn't know if my friends had slept with my mom. It was just a lot of things. But I remember laying in the bed and saying, God, I just need you. I want to share this verse with you. If I can find it. Um, and it's about a mother's love. And let's see, here it is. This is uh, Isaiah chapter 49 and verse 15. Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget. Yet I will never forget you. So, my mom, when she started looking for love in all the wrong places, I was the oldest now in the home, raising three younger brothers. My job was to come home, do my paper route, because that was my money. I was, we were poor. We got free lunches. At that time, mom and dad divorced. We went to, to nothing. And so, here I, which was fine. We never had a lot anyway. We ate beans and taters growing up. You got five kids. Even if you make good money, it's not, it's, it's a lot. So, then when mom and dad divorced, that Cut everything in half. My mom was a work. She worked. She worked at a restaurant. She was a cook at this wonderful family restaurant. She was a head cook, and she, she was great at it. But she was gone all day, and then she'd go out and party at night. But I can remember uh, just trying to be everything. So my, I come home, do that paper route, get my brothers uh, their homework, help them in bed, did the laundry, everything. My mom would come home and say, why don't you sweep the porch? She'd find something I didn't do right. So I have this perfectionistic attitude in my life. It's almost, I have to finish my plate. I have to do everything right. I got really kind of OCD and perfectionistic over it. it was just, everything had to be done just right. 
because nothing was ever right. And so I can remember trying to raise those up, at my brothers up and trying to do that, trying to do everything for my mom, and it still wasn't good enough. So here my mom was out partying, sleeping around, doing all these things. I'd call my aunt when my mom would leave at night because I want to make sure my mom was safe, get my brothers in bed. My aunt would pick me up. We'd follow her to hotels and motels to make sure the boyfriends. I remember sitting, y'all catch this, at, at the Waffle House, spying on my mom. Go to the Waffle House. It's great entertainment. So y'all know it is. Good food and good entertainment. What else can you ask for? Cheap. So I'm sitting here, and I, there was a hotel right beside of it where my mom would take her men. And I remember sitting there watching her, and then I'd hurry back home and pretend that I was asleep. That went on for a long time. And then it got so bad that social workers wanted to come and take us away. Somebody had heard that I was raising my three young brothers and said, he walked in social worker, crazy, nut job social worker, walks in in front of my mother and says, so is your mom out partying every night? And I thought, she's going to kill me. I was like, uh, I, you know, and as a Christian, I didn't want to lie. I said, well, no, not every night. I was like trying to skirt around it. And he was like, um, so are you here left to raise your younger brothers? And I said, well, you know, they're pretty self-sufficient. My aunt's next door. I was just kept trying because I thought I'm going to get killed when they leave. So he left. My mom grabbed a hold of me. And she said, she said, who are you talking to? You know, if you ever do this again, whatever. And, and she threatened to take me to juvenile detention and that she would get rid of me and somebody else could raise me because she just couldn't handle that, that I need to keep my mouth shut. And I hadn't said anything to anybody. Found out later it was our own sister who turned her in. And uh, she was trying to protect me. And so he met me at school one day. The social worker said, uh, so what are we going to do about this? I know this is happening. And I was able, I said, why would you come to my house and ask me that in front of my mother? I said, I can't, I wasn't going to do that. I said, all these things are true, yes. But I said, let me ask you a question. Who's going to take four boys? He said, nobody. We'll have to split you up. And I said, then I'll stay in this. Because my brothers need to see Jesus. And they don't have anybody but me. I'll endure that. Remember going to school, thank God for teachers at school. I wouldn't, you know, because I, I, if I didn't have money to pay for lunch, I wasn't going to use, we had a little blue card you had to punch for free lunches. And I didn't want anybody to know I got free lunches. So if I didn't have the money, I didn't eat. Guidance counselor calmed me down, wonderful Christian lady. She'd slide on lunch table and she said, you need to eat. And I said, well, I, I've got my own. She said, I've seen you when you don't, you don't eat. You're eating. She paid for my tux to go to prom. She's the one that told me that one day you're in that ministry. And I said, you're crazy. I'm not going to wear a three-piece suit and eat chicken and scream at people. That is not who I am. I scream at people, I like chicken, and I hate suits still. So that's another whole story. She said, you're going to minister to a lot of people because you love too many people. And I said, I'm not going to ever be that. But anyway, she poured in my life. And I remember being so ashamed. All those things in school that you did, just trying to hide all that stuff. Here, my mom was just not a good mom. Looked for love in all those wrong places. And, and so it was really, really bad. So life got worse. And so when it was time for me to go away to college, I was nervous about going to school because I thought, if I do, you know, then uh, who's going to be there for my brothers to show them Jesus? And so I debated that, but God won out and I went away. And it wasn't until I walked away from that situation, praying for my family, that God began to save my family one after another because they realized I'm not just following religion and church and all that, that no matter what it costs, I'm going to do what God asked me to do. Even if wherever he leads me, I'm going to go and I'm going to do it. And they saw that act of faith. 
But I'll be honest with you, I was one of those Hebrews 12 where that seed of bitterness sprang up in me and it began to foul me and others. And I would go to this altar Sunday after Sunday and pray for my family to know Jesus. Look up at me. It wasn't because I wanted them to go to heaven. It wasn't because I wanted them to be saved. It was because I wanted my life to be easier. And I thought if they get saved, at least they'll be nice to me. Maybe there'll be all those like those people that were, that were saved and knew Jesus that my life would be easier. And so I prayed and prayed and prayed for my family. No, Lord. But I thought, man, but if they end up in heaven, I'll have to ask God to put my mansion somewhere else because I don't want to look at them. I had it all mixed up. But you know what? God began to answer prayer. I prayed, Lord, save them. Lord, save them. Nothing ever happened until I prayed this prayer. And this is what I want to challenge each one of you to do. Each of you got to pray this prayer in your life. If you want bitterness, if you want to see change in your family. And I want to say this to the kids. To the fathers, you got to love your children. To the mothers, don't neglect your children and love other things the more that you love them. You have a special place to pour and be maternal to those people and love them, let them sense security and know that you fed them. And by the way, it's not just feeding them and nursing them and taking care of them. The greatest thing you can pour into them is the love of Christ and the love of Jesus and raise them in the admonition of the Lord. And if you failed at that, no matter how much you've clothed them, and I want to say this to one, one of the ladies, I want to get in your business, just a minute to the ladies. Fathers, it's about neglect lots of times and not being there. Even when you're physically there, you're still an absentee father because you've been a sorry daddy. To mamas, your biggest problem right now in this generation is you enable your children. And all you do is give them everything they want when they want it because you want your life and you're living your life through them. And they're princesses and they're princes and they never do wrong. And when they get corrected at school, you run there and you jump on that teacher and you chew that teacher out. You are a sorry mother when you do that. Your kids need to be disciplined. They're not these little gods that you're raising up. And you run all over and pour all this money into travel ball and travel this. And making them princesses and princes. And you're pouring into them. And some of you have got million, two or three million dollar policies. So when you kick the bucket, they're going to be millionaires. What is that about? You're just teaching them. And you don't have to work because you're going to be set up fine. I've raised three boys. Every one of them dropped at my doorstep because nobody wanted them. I've never been through foster care. Never done anything like that. And that DCS even called me this Friday and asked me if I'd take another kid. And I'm like, I'm not even fostering. Well, how'd you find me? Well, we heard you'll take these kids in your home and I have to place them before tomorrow morning. And if you don't, he's going to go in the system. I said, I can't, but I began to pray. This is how God works. This is a side story. Went into rehearsal that night and said, hey, folks, I'm in a situation. I feel really bad. The kid comes through here. He's a wonderful kid. He got saved in my ministry. Uh, he's been an incredible man, just a wonderful man of God. But his mom died. His dad's in Ohio. Don't want him. He's raised by his grandmother. has dementia. He has to be placed in a home. He's going to foster care tomorrow morning. I have to find a home. I can't take him in because I've got a son that I just brought in a year ago. He requires a lot of my attention, and it wouldn't be fair, and I can't do all this. I just don't know what I'm going to do. Pray for me. This lady who had been to a friend of mine's house that morning had come to rehearsal that night just to hang out. And she had just been married for about a year and they'd been trying to have a child. She had one of her own before they got married, a little girl. And now she was, said, we want to have a child. We want to have a child. And she went to her, she said, I don't understand why we can't have a baby. And she said, well, maybe God's going to the purpose. After that rehearsal that night, she came up to me and she said, I want to take Dakota home with me. I said, what about your husband? She said, I've already called him. You call DCS tomorrow. That next night, he was at rehearsal. I thank God for people 
who, you know, we wonder why we go through what we go through. The greatest prayer I ever prayed was this prayer. It wasn't that plastic prayer, oh Lord Jesus, I love them, but I hate their sin. Yeah, I've prayed that before. I'm not mad at them and bitter because I really do love them. I just hate what they did to me. Do you know what? As long as I pray that prayer, God never did anything in my life. Nothing. But when I got on my knees and began to pray, Lord Jesus, I hate them. I hate them. Hell was made for them. I hope they die and burn forever. And then there was a but God moment. But God, I want to love them. I just don't know how. And I need your heart because I don't have it. I don't have it. And all these years I've lied to you. I don't love them. Some of you kids, some of you people, you hate your children. You hate what you made them. Or what your husband made them or whatever else. Some of you hate your wife. You hate your husband because he cheated on you. Still married to him and make him miserable. You think it's your plight in life to make him miserable because he cheated on you. Your homes are horrible. Because daddies don't know how to be men. Of God. And women, mommies don't know how to be women of God. And broken babies, we don't know how to be children of God. When God looks down on us, he just sees us. Not all the stuff we've been through. And kids, look at me. You cannot keep using your parents. Look up here at me. As sorry excuses not to be everything that God's called you to be. Well, my dad was this. My mom was this. I've been through this. I was sexually molested. I was abused. I, was, I hear it all. I work with kids all the time. And they've always got this excuse. And I looked at them and said, and? Jesus saves. Jesus is in the fire with you. You owe him. To love your enemy, who might be your daddy or your mama. To pray for those who despitefully use you. So sometimes if you want them to change your mama and your daddy, you got to be willing for the Lord to change you. And I want to say this to you. Remember I said at the beginning how God chose Job? I remember going to the Lord and I said, Lord, I hate this. Why did you put me in this home? Why? 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 And he said to me, because I trusted you to show them Jesus. I didn't trust anyone else when I created you. You all I have. Don't let me down. So I had to ask to be more like Jesus. And I remember writing those letters to my dad on Father's Day. You know, it's getting ready to come up. You know those cards that say, oh, Daddy, thank you for always being there. <laughs> that went out the window. I go through cards and cards trying to find the right one. Finally found the right ones. Had hunters on the front or fishermen with a big lure on it. You know, it said, happy Father's Day. I'd open up and be nothing inside. Be blank. And I begin to pin these words. Please forgive me for not being the son that I needed to be. And I hope someday you'll see Jesus. 
I hope I can change enough that you would see him. At some point, you want changes in your life, you're going to have to stop pointing your finger at everybody else. Some of you are still sitting in this room wishing Daddy would tell you that he loved you and he's proud of you. You may never hear those words. There's not a day goes by where my Heavenly Father doesn't ask me what he could do for me. You know, there's times I want a friend in the presence of Jesus and follow his feet and say, Lord, I'm here. You've done so good to me. What can I do? And before I can get to my knees, I look down. Jesus is at my feet. Ask me how to make my life easier. What can I do to serve you? I just want to be like Jesus. Pray for my mom for 16 years. <clears throat> my dad... For 27 years. I remember being in Norlina, North Carolina. There was a place like that. It's a weird name, but it's there. I'm going to sing a song real quickly. And when I'm done with this, I'm going to wrap it up and we're going to be done. I've taken a lot of your time today. And I know it's gone long, but I want you to listen. There's a song called Act of God. I remember laying in the bed that night. I said, God, for you to change this sorry mess. You understand this too. When my mom and dad divorced. My brother started trying to find hope they didn't go to church. That was another thing. My brother came to church with us. I went to a very legalistic church. My brother next to me, Randy, was going with me and my sister went. My baby brothers, my two baby brothers didn't go. They were just babies. And we started going to church, and that church bus would pick us up. And I would wear whatever, just go to church, whatever. But my brother, all he had was T-shirts and jeans. And I remember him walking into that church, and he had a T-shirt on. And I remember he started to get on, on the bus to go to church, and the man said, you need to go in and change clothes. You can't come to church dressed that way. Thank you for having a program after, after, during the week for, for kids like me. Thank you for loving unlovable people because I wouldn't be here. My brother said to me, he said, I'll never ever be able to go back to church. God doesn't love people like me. So I spent a lot of time fixing that damage from the church as well. So they ran to drugs and alcohol and I ran to Jesus. Everyone's making your choices. Don't blame anybody else for your choices that you've made. Own it. Work through it. Anyway, I was laying in the bed and thinking, God, what can you do to change my family? It's going to take an act of God. And the Lord said, that's what you are. Listen to this song. Go ahead and pull it up. It's not going to be too loud for me. Like a wayward prodigal, my life was spent and wasted. I ran from everything I knew was right. All I had to offer God was sin and desperation. He exchanged it all for everlasting life. It took an act of God 
changed my life forever. He sent His only Son to bear my shame. Upon the cross of Christ, my sins were all forgiven. He came to do what only He could do to change one life. It took an act of God. You know why I'm here today? Want the world to look at me and know that there's a difference. I pray you see the Lord in all I do. If God could take a heart like mine, and through his every demand, just think of all that he can do for you. It took an act of God to change my life forever. He sent his only son to bear my shame upon the cross of were all forgiven he came to do what only he could do to change one life it took an act of God no man could change this blinded heart or take away my sorrow it happened only when I heard your call. It took an act of God to change my life forever. It took an act of God to change my life forever. He sent his only son. I found myself, um, I'll wrap this up, I found myself at one night, I was at Lees McCray College in Banner Elk, North Carolina, working, and the Lord prompted my heart, he said, you need to go talk to your mother. Now, I'd been away to college, I'd always done, and I started working uh, over at Lees McCray, and the Lord really burdened my heart, so in the middle of the night, uh, I go and I see my mom, and I remember walking in and sitting at her feet, she was sitting on the sofa, and I just got down next to her. I said, Mom, something's really on my heart. I need to share this with you. 
And she was living with a guy at the time, and this, her whole life it was just a rocked mess. My brother's just a mess. And I remember kneeling at her feet, and I said, if it takes my life for you to know Jesus, I'm ready to go. You can just play quietly when you feel like it. And she looked at me, she said, don't you ever pray that prayer. She was crying. I said, hey, Mama, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For every day that I live, I just want you to see Jesus. But if I were to die and step into his presence and knew that would bring you to saving knowledge of who he is, I'm ready to go. So I went back to school. Two weeks later, I got a phone call from my mom, and she had laid out a work, something she'd never done, so she could go to church that night. She said, I walked into the church, and she called me. I got, she said, I walked into church tonight. I laid out, and I was listening to the preacher preach. And she said, and I can only remember my mom being in church one other time. I talked to her into coming to something. And she was ringing her. I'll never forget. She had that pocketbook, and her fingers were purple at, at the invitation. She was not going to go forward, and she didn't. But that night, she said, I made it through the service. I thought, I made it. She said, I got out, about, out the porch and started walking down the steps. And I could hear my sister practice some music for the next night inside the church. And she sang these words. I'm so glad that I made it. Won't you come and go along? Billy, I ran back into the church. And I grabbed the preacher's hand. I said, I can't leave. I need Jesus. And she said, tonight I gave my life to the Lord. You got a new mommy. So I, I was like, and I could hear my little granny in the background, little shout Baptist, Woo! Thank you, Jesus. She's happy, you know. Because she had gone to my grandmother's right after that. She was right by the church. She first thing she did was call me. So I had $52 to my name after putting gas in the car. I stopped by Moody Bible Bookstore to put my mama's name on that Bible. Some of you heard me share this story. I said, How much is it going to cost? He said, $51.50. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. So I went up and uh, thank God for toilet paper. I didn't see a Kleenex one. Y'all gonna change that around here if I come back. So I remember walking up to my mom and I had that Bible behind me and we never locked our doors or anything. But I thought I'm gonna knock on the door and surprise her. So I knocked on the door. Here came my mom and her whole countenance was different. And I forgot about the Bible. I just embraced my mom. God had changed my mother. She threw her boyfriend out of the house. That was a good sign. The first thing she did is, I can't live like this. She don't know how I'm going to make it, but you know what? God's big. And so he took care of her, provided. And so she began to pray. She started, she was working in this place. And this man was where she worked. Uh, he was a wonderful, godly man, and he would—he was one of the bosses there. At dinner time, where she worked in the kitchen, uh, he would come down and read his Bible. He started pouring into my mom's life. So my mom called me when she said, "I got somebody I want you to meet." Oh no, Lord, she's she's backslidden. I wasn't sure what had happened. So I came home, and I remember this was after a year after they dated, and he was sitting at her feet, and she was sitting on the sofa, and he said, "I, I want to ask permission to marry your mom." You don't even know what she was. I said, do you know? He said, look, she's told me everything. God redeems all things. 
He was one of the most godly men I've ever met in my life. He married my, he married my mom. And he would tell me every day how much. Even on his deathbed, I remember being sick. I said, do I need to come right now? He said, not yet. I'll let you know. He said, you need to go tell people, more people about Jesus. Because I want them to come to heaven with me. You do you. I'll let you know when you need to be here. My dad became a good friend of his. That was a miracle. God began to work a miracle of forgiveness in my mom, dad, my stepmom's life. Soon my stepmom came to know Jesus. That was pretty amazing. My dad didn't have a chance. But I remember holding my stepdad's hand and praying with him. It was the only one in the room as he stepped in the presence of Jesus. He treated my mom like a, a queen and she treated him like a king. My mom never married after that. My dad and my stepmom took care of my mom. And uh, about 10 years ago, my dad and my, dad, my stepmom, well, let's go back, 27 years after I prayed, not many years after that, I went. I was doing a concert in my hometown. My dad would come to outside concerts. I was really known as a Christian artist. I didn't, not as a speaker as much, but my dad would come to these outdoor concerts. I'd see him in the car and he'd drive off. And so, uh, and it started getting closer and he came to one concert I was doing in my hometown. It was near Christmas. He stood on the right side of the room. I said, anybody here got prairie just about their own life? Just raise your hand. And they did. I didn't ask him. I said, we're going to just move those people and pray for them. And, um, preachers started going to my dad. I was like, oh, Lord Jesus, don't let him go to my dad. My dad hated preachers. He just whispered something to my dad and went back to his seat. I said, thank you, Jesus. And then the invitation I gave, I was singing this song. I've been washed in the blood of the crucified lamb. And I looked in front of me and standing right dead in front of me was my big burly redneck daddy. And I thought, and I literally said these words out loud. Oh, ye of little faith, God help my unbelief. And I asked him the most stupid question in the world. What did you come for? He was broken. And he said, you have prayed long enough. I need Jesus. So I knelt down with my dad. He went down a sinner and stood up a saint. And my dad was forever changed. He grabbed the mic from me. He said, I need to say something. And he said, I have wasted all these years of my life. He looked at me and said, you were everything I knew I was supposed to be. And I hated you for that. But I'll stand with you. And I will tell people about Jesus. So I'd take him to concerts and do show and tell. I'd see all this bad stuff. And, go, and there's my daddy who just got sick. And the, the spot would swing, swing around to him. And all the kids would want to talk to my dad. What do I do to reach my family for Jesus? And dad say, you got to keep loving them. Even when you think they hate you. you got to be like Billy. Just show show them Jesus so my dad and my stepmom sold everything to work out on this property where I started this theater and they brought me pinto beans and cornbread and diet Dr. Pepper my dad told me every day he loved me he would kiss me all those things I remember being at a retreat one time he was cooking for me my, my mom's stepdad all the my mom's both moms and stepdads I whatever that is it's crazy you know whatever that is how horrible. They'd show up and stay in the same cabin. That was weird. 
they cook at everything and so one night I was doing a consecration service people asking for forgiveness and working through things my dad was standing there and I thought he's going to ask me about breakfast how many you going to eat and he walked over to me and he said hey I need to talk to you I said how many you want for breakfast he said no because it was a serious moment he said no 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 he said I need, I need to say something to you I grabbed my hands and he said will you forgive me I said, hey, Danny, when you gave your life to Jesus, it was done. I gave you, forgave you before that. It takes one to forgive. It took a while to get reconciled, but I forgave you a long time ago. He said, shut up and listen. You're talking too much. Look at me. I was a horrible daddy. And I need to say these words. Please forgive me. And it was easy. Dad became my hero. About 10 years ago, I said goodnight to him. He was running security. A couple hours later, um, I got to hold my dad's hands and say to him, you're the best daddy that anybody could ever have. Thanks for showing me, Jesus. Ten months to the day that my dad passed away, I was doing my brother's funeral. Drugs, alcohol, because of choices he made. I had forgiven him, loved on him hard. I was a hard person to him. Like, you got to do this. But also got to make sure, you know, got to talk to him uh, a week before he passed away. He had aspirated on his own vomit from an overdose. I was in the hospital and he was clear minded and had not been on drugs for a couple weeks. And he thought he was going to get out. And we talked about Jesus. He renewed his faith, thanked me for that. And then he ended up on a respirator. Long story short, he passed away. And we got to love on him right into the presence of Jesus. The ones that I prayed for the most now know more about Jesus than I do. And I'm still stuck looking at you all. Go figure. God doesn't choose everybody for suffering. Looking back, I don't know if it was suffering or God was just trying to sh show me in the midst of it all how much He loved me. <laughs> and not raise kids that I don't even want <laughs> or didn't want. And they've taught me more about God's love and a father's love that I could ever imagine. One's in prison. One's a successful entrepreneur. And one is getting ready to turn 16 years old at my house who lost both his parents in a matter of months. And he was left at my doorstep. And tells me a million times a day how much he loves me. I don't deserve that. So the moral of the story fathers love your children mamas don't enable your children to be demon possessed it's okay to tell them no you're not their best friend and children don't use your parents or people in your life as excuses not to rise up and be everything that God's called you to be because I'm going to just tell you at the foot of the cross broken daddies and messed up mommies and crazy kids they got died for each of us and I, I realized in my life going out and sharing Jesus with 
millions of people in my life. I try to fix everybody. That's why I have all these camps for broken babies. And I found out I can't. But if I get people in the presence of Jesus for about three seconds, their lives will be forever changed. So maybe today, if you forget my name, as some have and will, I don't really care. It doesn't bother me. But maybe today, you've experienced the presence of the Lord. That's what's important. Would you stand to your feet with your heads bowed and eyes closed? I said goodbye to my mama three years ago. She had cancer. I went with her every Wednesday. Spent eight hours with her while she took those drugs. Said all the things I wanted to say that she needed to say. My mom is a drama queen. When they told her she was going to go and be with Jesus, she was wiping our tears. She never shed a tear. She said, I don't know why you're crying. I get to see Jesus. She wrote me this beautiful card when I, I was turned um, 30 years old, 100 years ago. And she said, Thank you for being the son and for loving me. Because if you haven't, I would never know Jesus and I'd never get to go to heaven. A year ago, I lost my brother, another brother, my baby brother, to COVID. I talked him into being a production back in the mountains when he was a teenager. He was unchurched. I said, be a thief on the cross. He said, I, I, I knew he would because he would hang naked in front of girls. I mean, that's what he wanted to do. So he'd get a girlfriend. Little did he know everybody at that church was his cousin, but in Scott County, it probably didn't matter anyway. But I remember on the cross as a thief. And right in the middle of production of the crucifixion, he came off the cross. And I met him down at the foot of the cross. And he asked Jesus in his heart, he went to, retired from the Navy, self-made man, fought a lot of battles, but 23, 23 days on a respirator, um, he called me and said, look, you got to let me go. I'm tired. But I knew he knew Jesus too. All I can do today is speak Jesus. Some of you look, daddies, you need to rap Jesus. I hate to tell you this, but God's going to hold you accountable for the spiritual welfare of your home. Daddies need to get right. Let me challenge you. Let me challenge you to do this. During this song, I want you to find your children. And I want you, if you haven't done it lately, you're going to tell them you love them. Don't go buy them something and say they get it. Say the words, I love you. One of the greatest things you can say is, I've not been the greatest dad. Don't use me as your excuse not to know Jesus we're human and we don't get it right right but daddies find your kids or mamas find your kids don't let bitterness and unforgiveness keep you from being what you need to be don't choose other things over your children and don't choose to live your life through them and make them think that the world bows down to them you've done them a disservice and you need to apologize I looked at my kid and pulled him up on both of all my kids and and I looked at them I said look you need to understand something you will never ever ever be first in my life Jesus is going to be first you will always be second always and then children even if you're 60 years old 
you might have to go to your mama and your daddy and ask them to forgive you for not being the kid that you needed to be. But first of all, there's an altar here. And to pray that honest prayer is, God, I hate them. Or maybe bring your kids down here and pray for them. Don't let the enemy destroy that. And all you can do sometimes is just say the name of Jesus. I'm changing his name, everything's off. Father, in the name of Jesus, as this song's being sung, I'm taking a lot of time, I know. Do a work it on you can do today. Speaking of hearts, there's people here who don't know you. That's why they can't love. They don't know you as Savior. They've signed the pieces of paper. They've got dunked. They think they got their fire insurance, but really, in the quiet of the moment, they don't know you. And you're telling them that right now. You know about me, but you don't know me. You've got all these papers and credentials saying that you're right, but you and I know you have never, ever yielded your life to me, and that's why your life's a sorry mess. Come and give me your heart. There's people in this room need to be saved. There's mamas who need to get right with Jesus. There's daddies who need to get right with Jesus. There's students who are, are, you know, suicidal and depressed and all these things because all this stuff in their life. But we got to bring all those cares at the feet of Jesus and ask you to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. To forgive. Or to be forgiven. Two choices at this altar today. We need to be forgiven. And then we want you to teach us how to forgive others. And that's where we need to be honest today. Speak through this song, Jesus.